Hello everybody. Friday night saw the first scalp of the Alexander Sanera at Sail Sharks as the Sharks outclassed league leaders Bristol Bears 20 points to 13 at Ashton Gate. My name is Lewis, welcome back inside the Shard Tank. And joining me to discuss whether Sale's latest victory should actually be classified as an upset or just a bloody good win are my co-hosts, Alex and James. Uh, Alex, you're usually very measured when it comes to matters of Bristol, so keep this one brief and we'll go into it in a little bit more detail momentarily. But how are you? Delighted, mate. Absolutely delighted. Um, Yeah, I won't say any more than that, but I've had a very good weekend thanks to Sale Sharks on Twitter. How are you? Much the same. Great night Friday night. Great night on Twitter Friday night. Great day on Saturday watching loads of rugby and the cricket. Great day again today on Sunday watching more cricket and more rugby. Uh, James, how are you? Yeah, good. Um, I mean, it's just great that the Six Nations is back. Um, that's That made me feel happy. And to go into a Six Nations weekend off the back of a sale win, I mean, I don't think I've sort of woken up on a Saturday morning happier than I did this Saturday morning for many, many months. So uh, very happy with where we're at. So let's get right into it. Friday night, it was your prototypical uh, attack versus defence, unstoppable force meets immovable object. It was Sale, the sort of hardiest, best defence in the league, you know, very grit and, and all that good northern stuff going up against Bristol. Everybody's second favourite team, according to BT Sport. Lots of tries, lots of points scoring. Team really built around attack. Uh, and Alex, you know, let's go at you first, because I'm sure you'll have plenty to say. Um, it's funny, isn't it, really, how defence wins championships? <laughs> yes. Yeah, tell that to the Twitter population in Bristol. Some of them took some umbrage to that. Um, yeah, I think it's it's kind of... Defence does win championships, but I think the the key thing for us was that we had a really good defence, but then we also took our chances when we when we could. And, you know, obviously the try is, is part of that, but more so the kind of winning penalties and then converting them. Um, you know, I think we kicked uh, five penalties. Bristol only conceded seven in the game. So, you know, we really, really put them to the sword and we won penalties in key areas and and made sure that we converted them. Um, and then the try at the end tops it off really, really well after a really, really good bit of attack. But I think that was entirely earned through the hard work of the, the 60, 70 minutes before it. And, and I think what it also showed is that squad depth probably wins championships because... We were so much better in the last 20 minutes by virtue of using our bench well. Um, and Bristol just weren't in a position where they felt comfortable using theirs, I think. Uh, that's that's certainly the sense I got, because they barely played them. And as a result, we were a lot fresher, we were a bit more intense, we were just slightly quicker to every ball because we had that impact from the bench. And I think, you know, it was overall, I mean, we said it on Twitter after the game, but 1-23, to 80-minute, like everything was was really really good on friday night and th- and that's the thing that you know people will say oh this was a win based on defense but i think more than that it was a win based on accuracy and you know yes bristol had a lot of the ball 
but they never looked like going anywhere. Um, and then when we had the ball, we just executed a game plan, which was get into their half, play the territory, and then take the rewards later on in the game. So I, I honestly think that you know it, it was less so a defensive performance than just a complete performance. And and maybe we didn't light up the game initially, but it's the sort of um, it's the sort of thing that you know you go out with a game plan to to nullify Bristol's strengths. You execute it really well. And then you take your opportunities when you get them. So it's it was just a fantastic performance. And I think it was it was certainly the happiest I'd been with a sort of sale all round performance in a long, long time. So James, we were a bit tongue in cheek off the top, sort of talking about Bristol being these kind of media darlings, but there's no sort of way around it in that they came into the game in the form of their life, you know, they were a you know, atop the, the premiership table, still are top the premiership table. They beat Exeter at Sandy Park. You know, and coming into this game, it really kind of felt like it was a step up from Sanderson's first game in charge away at Leicester to going away to Bristol, who were or have been the best team in the league. So for, from your perspective, how, how significant is this win for sale in the context of our season and actually in the context of uh, Sanderson laying some foundations of his own? Well, I think he is laying some foundations, um, but it's a bit early to see the results of those foundations. What we've got a result of here is the solid foundations that are, were already in the club, um, plus you know fresh energy and purpose from a new director of rugby and players who want to impress him. You know he won't know these people inside out. He's taking an interest in them, um, and it's given you know people like Cam Neal just to pull a name off the top of my head. Struggled with injuries. You know, it's a fresh slate. You know, he, he has been a fantastic player for us, but he hasn't we haven't seen much of him the last three seasons. Great opportunity to set a stall out, exactly the type of player I imagine that Sanderson will like. So I, I don't think um, we can suddenly say, oh my God, he's changed everything because I think that's the kind of performance we, we could have put in under, under Dimes. A uh, couple of tweaks. I think that the already brilliant defence is, is now... And Sanderson says it himself, he's trying to turn what is the best defence into the league into an attacking weapon. And I do think that we did see the beginnings of that on Friday, where, you know, it's not just a good defence that stops the opposition from scoring. It's a good defence, which is actually making the opposition make mistakes, give away penalties and allow McGinty to get the goals. And that's a very subtle difference. Um, but 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 I think it, we started to see the start of it. Otherwise, I mean, you have to say, well, the defence is... <laughs> this isn't Sanderson sorting out our defence. We've got the best defence in the league. Mike Forshaw's done that. That's been the case for the last two or three years. Um, but I am hugely optimistic about, you know, the, the potential upside of the mentality shift. Don't forget, like, after Dimes went, you know, the wheels were coming off a bit. And by winning the last two games, um, it doesn't matter what performance is, uh, really. They, they've completely shifted the momentum and change the mindset where we are title contenders um, and things could have been quite different if we'd lost at Leicester and Bristol. So do you think that kind of recalibrates our season a little bit? Because as you rightly said, when Dimes left very abruptly, you know, the talk was kind of like, you know, shifting our focus, you know, just making sure we get through to the end of the season in a, in a decent position. Do you think the immediate results that we're seeing from the team that's been built, plus the addition of Sanderson and, and the tweaks that he's making means that, performances like Fridays show that we, we should still be considered uh, in the um, home playoff races, let's say. 
Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think we, we are definitely a top four competitive side. I mean, you look at the table, though, and it's enormously competitive. And we've got, I'd say we've got a difficult run of games coming up when they put up the, the next five games, us versus Bristol. There's no doubt that Bristol have a very good run of the next five games, and they could be well clear by the end of those five games. Uh, we, we, we've got it tougher, um, and we're really going to have to grind in. I, I think by the end of those the next probably three games, I think we're going to know how much of a title contender we are. But I'd like to think that we are certainly a top... We, we should be aiming, obviously, for top four. Um, and, you know, you forget... I mean, all the talk was, you know, who's Bristol missing? But uh, you, you forget about who we're missing. Um, and we're missing a hell of a lot of good players. So, Alex, you were very, very polite with uh, with our sort of first around the horn discussing the, the Bristol game. Um, there's obviously a little bit of beef and a little bit of history between Sale and Bristol now. And, and watching the game, I think it's fair to say I realised that Bristol are kind of public enemy number one for, for myself, at least in the Premiership. Um, how satisfying was it to watch Sale not only beat Bristol at their home ground, but do so in a way that was the kind of culmination of everything we've been building in the last couple of months in terms of great defence, opportunistic attack, um, and, and all the rest of the sort of pesky gameplay that we, uh, we we like to build ourselves on at sale. Yeah, massively. Well, it, it kind of felt very much like uh, a sale identity in our performance in the, you know, it was everything we want to be and everything we have been for a few years, but it was just executed really, really well. And that's the most satisfying thing that, you know, I think we we got some um, some grief on Twitter for being a boring team to watch and and how it must be a, must be horrendous to watch Sale every week. Um, well, yeah, it it is when we like we usually are, but when we play like that, it's incredible because maybe maybe our expectations are just based incredibly low because we usually watch us play a relatively defensively based game, but not execute it very well, and suddenly we've started executing it. Um, but I think it was it was kind of the way that we the way that we nullified them and that you know they never really threatened us um, with the kind of game that they threatened other teams with, um, and obviously they were missing some some key personnel in that. But you've got to remember they still had the likes of Henry Purdy, um, Charles Piatau. You know, Yoan Lloyd has been doing really really good things, and I think we shut him down incredibly well um, at ten. It was a hill. hill Pat Lamson after the game, rightly, he'll have learned a hell of a lot, and I think it'll be really valuable for them. But, geez, you wouldn't like, you know, you've, I think it was his first start at 10 or maybe second. Um, you wouldn't like your first start at 10 to be against our defence because there's just, at times, nowhere to go, and you almost get swallowed up by it. And I think that was the thing that the, the biggest satisfaction for me was that we didn't make silly mistakes and we didn't make silly errors because, you know, our discipline was actually relatively good, apart from that line-out and scum time, which were a shambles. Um, and in terms of sort of conceding turnovers and, and you know, making errors, that, that all the usual frustrating errors that we make, we didn't really make them. And part of that was because we didn't have that much of the ball to be you know, dropping them and throwing silly passes and that kind of thing. But you know, we, we weren't you know, messing about on the floor. We weren't getting pinged and marching ourselves all the way back down the field. Um, so, no, massively, massively satisfying. And I just think, you know, th- the other point here is that 
Bristol have been an incredible team this season, attacking-wise, but no one talks about the defence. But they have barely conceded any points this season. We've scored the second most points against them out of every game they've played. So, you know, this isn't like we've, you know, we've made it into a dull game and shut the whole thing down. We've come and, you know, executed again. I've said it all off the top again, um, so I won't repeat myself. But I think we don't get enough credit for that, that we've scored 20 points at Ashton Gate. And no team scored more points at Ashton Gate than that this season. You know, the, the only team that scored more was Wasps when they put 23 on them in the very first game of the season in Coventry. So we have, we've, yes, we've got this great defensive performance, um, but we've got the attack to go with it, as I've said. The other massively satisfying thing is watching Bristol then go into bad loser, sore loser meltdown after the game, which was just incredible because, like, just bringing me videos of Pat Lamb, Dan Thomas, anyone else associated with Bristol complaining about how boring we are and how how illegally we did things, um, just hook it into my veins because we won the game, we got four points, and we made them look pretty average on their own patch. So I'll I'll enjoy that all day. There it is. That, that's what we wanted to hear. Um, so, I mean, we've all kind of hinted on it. Fantastic performance, 1 through 23. The, the utilisation of the bench, the impact that those players brought. It was, you know, the, the South African stars mixing in with, you know, the academy lads. Everyone had a fantastic performance. But James, you know, who, who for you were the kind of like linchpins of that performance? Who, who were you kind of watching and saying, OK, as, as these players go, Sale will go in, in this game? It's, it's a difficult one this week. It honestly is. It's a good question. Um, but I, I honestly think that the whole squad really played well. There wasn't many people who stood out and there wasn't any, you know, for either way. Um, I, just a little shout out for our back row, certainly our flankers, who I thought did an absolute hit job on, on Bristol. John O'Ross and Cam Neal, they just smashed absolutely everything that came anywhere near them. And, for, you know, Sanderson asked for the physicality to be brought or those two just, they did one. They absolutely did one on Bristol um, and they didn't like it. I mean, you can see with Dan Thomas, I mean, he's basically been manhandled by John O'Ross and Cam Neal the whole game. I mean, he didn't he didn't have an enjoyable afternoon um, and that's why he looked all sort of all upset. Uh, bless him. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, but obviously in the backs, I mean, you have to single out McGinty again because he kicks, kicks the goals. And uh, it would be a different kettle of fish if it was Dan Cipriani with a 50% kick rate because it would have kept Bristol in the game a lot longer. In fact, you, you, might, you probably would have thought we'd definitely have lost that game, um, even putting aside the number of points that McGinty kicked. Um, so McGinty, uh, you know, he is just on such good form at the moment. And when you've got Faf, um, who looked energetic but playing within a system, um, and you had McGinty defending the way that they do. There's nowhere for Bristol to go. Like, you know, when, when Faf is, like, dump tackling Nathan Hughes, who the three of us couldn't lift together, um, and then you've got McGinty just putting his shoulder into his tackles the way he does, like a lunatic. Like, it, it, the Bristol just were just... The, the, literally, it was a wall everywhere they went. So, if you forced me, I'd say McGinty, Ross and Neil for me. But there were so many more. Langdon. Um, I mean, there was there, there were so many good players on the pitch, wasn't there? What about you, Lewis? Who would you like to single out? 
Um, I'm going to say De Klerk for, for one major reason, which is I saw Andy Urin, the Bristol scrum half, had a pretty poor game. Um, and Urin is the sort of player who gets lost in this kind of star-studded Bears team, you know, that you've got your Pietal, your Randrandras, etc. Urin, you know, sort of makes the, the, the club tick. You know, and he makes that backline in particular tick. And, you know, you watch them put 50 points on Bath the week before. It's because, you know, Euron's pulling the strings um, from, from scrum half and uh, playing it off both feet uh, and really sort of like instigating the attack. Couldn't do that on Friday. And that was a massive sort of part of it. You know, and, and Neild and Ross and, and, you know, the back row kind of around the, the edges and the fringes of, of, of each rook and maul are, are a big part of that. But the clerk was absolutely smashing him in the first half, putting so much pressure on him forcing mistakes and you know it, it was a, a sort of night and day performance uh, for Bristol because you know like this time last week they were running around Bath who just weren't engaged defensively and and Sale massively were um, and I think that made a huge difference um, for stopping a player who, who maybe doesn't get the plaudits he, he should get um, and, and kind of elsewhere so obviously Luke James had a great game uh, Alice we'll, we'll, we'll get your thoughts on him shortly um, but Kobus Visa and Josh Beaumont, I thought, are both, again, were, were very, very good. And I've been very bullish on Visa. Um, I think there's there's good potential there. But I know me and James have disagreed on, on kind of what the ceiling is. James thinks he's a springbok. I'm a little bit more reserved about that. But actually seeing him play as a four in, in, in games like this, you can really see the impact he makes as a ball carrier, as a tackler. He's very effective um, mauling the ball as well. And it was the same against the... I know we didn't do a pod on the Leicester game, but he was, he was fantastic in the Leicester game. And it does feel like there's there's a bit of a higher ceiling for for for, for Cobus as a, as a lock. And when you're playing him alongside a rangy athletic lock in Beaumont, who can do a little bit more of the ball carrying, who can test the defence a little bit more, it's a really encouraging partnership. And, and when you're still without Lou Diaga for another couple of months and, and he'll have to be rotated... It feels like we've got a very good club partnership in in that second row. So big shout out to Cobus Viso, who I thought was uh, fantastic again. Um, but Alex, I guess you know the man of the moment continues to be Luke James, who who was the one who got the winning try. Um, you know we we we've spoken so much about Luke James and what he brings. You know, last two weeks he sort of stepped his game up once again, and and I know you're a big fan, but you know what what else is there left to say about Luke James and the performances he's putting in for sale at the moment? Well, on form, mate, you should be playing for England next weekend. That's what's left to say, isn't it? You know, I think he was just absolutely outstanding. He's so, I mean, we forget. That was his 50th Premiership appearance, I think, or 50th appearance for sale, maybe. Um, He's he's 21. It's ridiculous. He is so calm and composed at the back. And, you know, he takes high balls, makes it look like a piece of cake. And he doesn't look like he should beat people. But he's developed this really evasive running style where he can just step around people, you know, with with no trouble at all. So he's got the kicking game to go with it, which we talked about a couple of, I think that was a couple of seasons ago we were talking about how his kicking game had developed. Um, but he's just, you know, he's everything you want in a fullback in terms of solidity, in terms of, you know, he, he beats defenders. He's, he's not the Mike Haley kind of free-running style fullback that, you know, we we were used to, but he is so much more defensively solid, and he still can you know beat men, set up an attack, get ahead of his teammates, and and therefore keep the ball for us. And I think you know that having having that sort of presence at the back, the amount of times 
Bristol, you know, we forced Bristol into kicking the ball away so much in this game by virtue of excellent defence. And what we had in the backfield was Luke James covering that all, picking it up for us, um, and then either kicking it back to them tactically, taking marks um, and taking the pressure off, or getting back over ahead of his teammates so that we could keep the ball. And I think, you know, that presence is just invaluable. And he, I cannot you know, say enough good words about him um, as a player. So I think, he, you know, we are so lucky to have him and, and need to keep hold of him. I think one of the other things, we kind of talked about players and I just wanted to pick a couple of other people up. I thought Sam Dugdale off the bench, who we mentioned on Twitter, was absolutely superb. Um, his carry for our try, you know, was outstanding, just bouncing people off. Um, really like the way he's been playing, especially since Anderson's come in, but generally this season, you know, when you think he was released from his contract, to, you know, what, six months ago, nine months ago? So... Um, that's really, really encouraging. You and Ashman off the bench as well, I thought. I think the line-out as a whole, you were talking about Kevin Beast and Josh Beaumont. Um, and Beaumont has had a massive hand in restoring our line-out to being a weapon rather than a, you know, a frailty. We didn't lose line-out all game. Curtis Langdon was thrown well, and then Ashman comes on and keeps that going. And he's, you know, he was... He's got that kind of threat at the breakdown as well, but I think we is what we lose when we don't have a Curry involved, um, and also when we don't have Acker involved. So to have him, you know, Jacqueline was was exceptional. I actually thought Will Cliff had a good game once he kind of got into it. The first ten minutes after he came on, I was not convinced at all that it was the right decision. But I do think Sanderson by bringing him on so early gave him a chance to get into the game, and then you know he was able to kind of dictate that. The, the final 10, 15 minutes. I'm really glad you mentioned Sanderson as well, because before we kind of move on to stats, that was a question I wanted to pose to James, which is in this game, we saw Sanderson have a very sort of visible impact on the game, not just because the BT sport cameras kept panning to him every couple of minutes, but, you know, we saw the likes of De Klerk go off on sort of 55, 56 minutes very early. You know, we, we've seen some of these selection choices coming in, you know, Cam Neal at seven, um, you know, the, the going with you and Ashman on, on the bench, Bevan Rod has continued to start games at loose head prop. Um, I kind of, you know, we, we've had two games now of, of kind of Alex Sanderson as the DOR and, and kind of, James, what, what, what are your, what are your sort of early takeaways in terms of what he's bringing to the club and the, especially on a game day in terms of how he wants the club to play, how he's using the um, how he's using the squad, um, and kind of the results that that's bringing because you know it's two games in and you know we've we've got a hundred percent winning record. Yeah, I mean he says himself, you know it's obviously a honeymoon period and and things will change. I mean we'll go through a tough run at some point, guaranteed. But it's having the mental toughness when that arrives. I talked about turning the best defence in the league into an attacking weapon. I think he definitely is is doing that. And then, but the the, the main observation during the game, uh, which we all saw and a lot of the our guys did on Twitter as well, was utilization of substitutions very early into the second half, fifty minutes. Very rarely a time where Diamond was sub anyone at fifty minutes, and certainly not De Klerk in a two point game. Um, I mean, it just would just wouldn't have happened. And I think that Diamond clearly has a track record you couldn't argue with in terms of, you know, bringing the kids through and giving them an opportunity. But actually, since we've had the money, it's not happened as obviously. Bevan Rod, I suppose, is the big one this year. Last couple of years, 
less obvious who's kind of broken through. In the past, Dimes would pick people out of necessity and then he would just back them, give them a run of games. Sam James, for example, makes it. Taking the clerk off at 50 minutes is exactly what happens at Saracens, yeah, where you have a squad of people and they everyone has a job within the system and you're trusted to go and do your job. And it doesn't matter whether you're second or third choice in your position. You know, e- even during the internationals uh, for Saracens, normally what would happen is, of course, you know, like a lot of the big players would go off and play internationals, but then you get that next level down who are still really, really good. The Richard Barringtons, for example, at Loosehead, he would still go off at 50 minutes and some young lad who's 20 would come on. So, it, it, you know, you don't change the system and the approach to who the player is. Yeah, you know, and, and it's just that trust in and belief in the squad. And I think that psychologically that could be a bit of a game changer for Sale because we saw what happened in the uh, restart of last season where we sent off these squad players and they just performed and beat first-choice sides like at Watson, for example, proud to wear the shirt, etc. And I just think it keeps everyone in- involved and, you know, everyone feeling that they're making a contribution. I don't think, you know... Gus Wall coming off the bench for two minutes makes him feel like he's making a contribution to that to that win or not win. And I think that either way, someone comes on, has the opportunity to have an input into the game and have a say. And whichever way it goes, you know, Sanderson said himself, like he, he wouldn't have been that bothered. What he was happy about was the approach and the intent. And that's what he focuses on. And so I, I, I'm really excited about that. You know, it brings people like Sam Dugdale the opportunity to have that impact in the game. You know, Ross and Cam Neal to put in serious hard work. Then Dugdale comes on, bit of fresh legs, and has the carry that really that really turns the game and allows us to score the try. What an amazing thing for that lad. You know, and, and if that was, I reckon, before, he would have come on maybe 10 minutes later, maybe 15 minutes later, and I don't think would have had the opportunity to have that impact. So that does excite me. I'm hoping this will bear out in the stats as we kind of pivot to that now, because that impact off the bench in that second half, in that sort of 20, 25 minute in the middle of the second half, was ultimately what kind of pushed the game out of Bristol's grasp at first. They pulled it back. And then obviously we go down the other end of the pitch and score with key contributions from those young academy lads who are now being picked and actually have a bit of game time in the legs. So when it, you know you need a, an impact carry on seventy five minutes, you've got Sam Dugdale there bouncing off tacklers. Um, you know, so Alex, you know, great performance from Sale, ticked all the boxes. Does that carry out in the stats? Yeah, it does absolutely. I mean, there's a couple of areas that I think I've already mentioned, which I'll I'll come back to. But overall, it's a massively encouraging performance. Um, the first thing I do want to talk about actually is the bench because. I was just having a look out of curiosity. And so Bristol's bench as a total played 60 minutes. Um, so every player's minutes. Um, our bench played 184. So that just shows how much of an impact those early subs have because it is that last part of the game where, where it was won and lost. And, you know, I think if nothing else, the freshness makes a massive difference. Um, going on to other stuff. So kind of headline is, as we know, we didn't have... a any possession or territory. We had 40% possession, 44% territory. And actually, you know, we talk about how good our defence was. So we were at 90% tackle success rate, and I'll come on to that later, but Bristol were at 92%. They didn't really make any. They made 87 tackles out of a possible 95. But I think 
what that kind of shows is that our our defensive strategy, you know, it kind of points to that thing okay, I said before. This wasn't just a defensive performance where we were hitting everything. We only made 112 tackles, um, but we made the ones that counted. So going into kind of team performance, what really stood out for me was that the starting pack made 78 tackles out of 79. So there's one tackle missed between the, out of the starting pack. The um, sort of substitute pack, if you like, so all the forwards off the bench made 15 out of 16 tackles. So that impact around the pitch was massive. Now, there's a few more missed tackles in the backs, in the starting backs, um, particularly Sam Hill. But that's more a consequence of the way we were defending, which was to rush up on the outside, which is why you've got the likes of Sam Hill, Sam James, Byron McGuigan having missed tackle stats, which they do, and pushing the Bristol players back in. Um, so defensively, a massive performance. I mean, John Ross naturally tops it with the 18 tackles, as everyone would have expected. Cam Neal, 13. Um, and then throughout the pack, it's just a, a smattering of tackles. But I think it was just a, a really, really good performance. And that kind of bears out in Bristol's attacking stats. They only made uh, 264 metres off 98 carries. So that's 2.7 metres per carry, which for them is absolutely nothing. You know, last week against Bath, they were making silly numbers. Um, and obviously that was a bit of a one-off. But it just shows that, you know, we were able to completely nullify their area of strength. Um and I think what that then meant was that Bristol had to kick the ball away. So they kicked away 46% of their possession. Um, now, we kicked away 54% of ours. So I'm not saying that, you know, we were kind of any better. But what you could see from the game is that Bristol were forced into that kick, whereas ours was very much a deliberate choice. And you can kind of also see that in that Faf kicked the ball away 13 times. But we were keeping it in play. And that's one of the interesting points that I kind of wanted to pull out, that out of all of our kicks, we weren't afraid to kick it into Bristol's backfield and then let our defence do the talking. Um, and I went through and had a look as well at our restarts, which was kind of an area that I have long been concerned about. And I thought it was a massive improvement in this game because every restart comes to, pretty much all of them came to Sam James, who then either if we needed to, fed it inside to Jean-Luc Dupria, and it was always Jean-Luc Dupria, to carry up and then we would clear, or Sam James would kick it away. Now, what's interesting is that when Sam James kicked it away, he didn't kick it into touch, he kept it in field, and then we would push Bristol back up to kind of halfway line, 10-metre line. We'd meet them with a really, really solid wall of a kick chase and then keep them there, and they wouldn't be able to go anywhere. So, you know, every time we could have had the pressure back on us in our 22, we just moved the chains back up to the halfway line. So it was a really impressive defensive performance. Um, I don't really think the attack is going to light up anyone's day, um, unsurprisingly. So we we didn't do too badly. We made 157 metres off 66 carries. It was about 2.4 metres per carry, so actually not that far off Bristol. Um, we just really, you know, we, we, we didn't have a lot of the ball. We didn't, therefore, have any crazy metre makers. Luke James made 42 metres which was pretty impressive. Um, highest in the game was Charles Piotr with 72, followed by Nalago, the Bristol winger, with 50. Um, so, you know, there's nothing that massively exciting to say. Curtis Langdon made 24 metres, which is a pretty impressive return for a hooker, um, obviously helped by that one carry. Um, similarly, Sam Dugdale looks like he had a really good game in metres from kind of one carry. Um, so that's all massively, massively positive. If you'll allow me some very brief kind of areas of potential improvement, which I think we're allowed. 
Um, Turnovers-wise, we gave up 13. Bristol actually gave up 15. They are a massive turnover machine. Bristol, they do give away a lot of the ball. Um, So we were less than them, so obviously that's positive. Six of them were dropped balls. Um, Frustrating. It's always the majority. I don't know why. I suppose it's just kind of pressure, but that's one to improve on. And then penalty-wise, I talked about this before, so Bristol conceded seven penalties, obviously five of which we kicked. Um, AJ's kicking stats, again, superb. Missed the conversion for the try, which is a shame. Um, but, you know, we'll forgive him for that. Sale conceded 14 penalties. Um, Ten of those at line-out and scrum. So that's the area of issue. Um, you know, two were at the breakdown and then two were at the mall. Um, so obviously partially linked to the line-out. Um, but, yeah, six at the scrum and four at the line-out. I think we just, you know, we we had a dreadful day at, at the scrum time. Um, you know, we we actually we kind of we were two thirds success rate at our scrums, um, but really Bristol won all of theirs. We we struggled to trouble them on their ball, and we were kind of struggling to get our own ball back, which I think is kind of consistent with what we saw in the game. Line out wise, obviously, um, we were perfect, but we were giving away penalties at Bristol's line out. Um, so it's just one to work on. I mean, we could all see that from the game. I think the advantage, obviously, is that we managed to fix our line-out, but then our defensive line-out and discipline generally just needs some work. Obviously, another yellow card for John Ross, um, which if anyone's read the stats review on Patreon, um, you'll know that he is absolutely leading the race of total yellow cards and continues to, to win that race. Um, one interesting point, which I think kind of, I'm looping back to our kind of strategy and kicking game. So Faf made 17 passes in total in the game. Will Cliff made 18. So the impact of Cliff coming on, actually, and in that last 20 minutes, obviously the game was starting to, I won't say open up, but you know our attack was coming more into the game in those last 20 minutes. But that just shows that first 50 minutes, all we did was get the ball back, kick it away, and let Bristol come at us. Um, you know, and And as a result, some Bristol fans on Twitter will be telling us how much pain in the arse we are, but that's brilliant for me. Um, it's very similar to what we did against Saris that game at home when we won, um, I think two seasons ago now. Um, you know, we are we had the game plan, we executed it. We might not be getting the best out of Fafty Clerk because we would want him to make more passes than Will Cliff when he plays more of the game, but he's executing the game plan. And it kind of speaks to everything we said before about, um, and everything James said about players operating in the team structure and if Faf is operating within that structure, then yes, he's not going to make a load of passes and change the game. But actually, he's going to make a massive difference in setting up for Wilcliffe to come on and, and finish the game off. So massively encouraging game. Um, I don't think there's really anything more to cover other than, yeah, we didn't have much of the ball. We didn't bring anything in attack according to most of Bristol. Um, but we defended our hearts out. We scored points when it counted. And just the efficiency of our game was incredible. That that stat about kicking five out of the seven penalties Bristol conceded is so, so good. And if we do that, you know, it doesn't matter. We can play against the best disciplined teams in the league. We will still win games if we are winning penalties in the right areas and then kicking them. So really encouraging week. Um, but thanks to Ben and Opta for these stats as always. Uh, I'll get it in before the end of the pod like I usually do. It sounds like what you're saying there, Alex, is the way we're playing at the moment and the efficiency with which we're playing means it doesn't matter if we're playing a Bristol team flying high in the table or a Bath team that's struggling a lot at the bottom. 
which kind of leads us on to our next and final topic of this week's podcast, Sales Next Game, which is retaining some of that West Country flair. Uh, but it's this time at home, back at the AJ Bell, uh, against Bath Rugby on Friday night. So James, two West Country teams in very different circumstances. Well, we saw that two weeks ago. Um, what do we need to know about Bath going into this week's game? Well, Bath are in, in quite a big lot of trouble at the moment. They're in a terrible, terrible time of it for a number of reasons, which I'll explain. But if our win against Bristol was all about the defence, then I think the route to beating Bath needs to be about our attack. And I think we're going to find a lot out quite a lot about ourselves uh, against Bath because this is a team that are shedding a lot of points. I mean, I nearly swore to emphasise it, uh, but obviously we're a family podcast. But a shed loads of points are, are, are getting conceded by Bath. Um, and actually, a lot of it in the press is that, you know, that. They're obviously recovering from a COVID, you know, situation, and they've had a, they lost a couple of games um, due to COVID um, just before Christmas, and and since then, I mean, look, look at this: they, they've lost to Leicester, conceded thirty six points. They've lost to Wasps, conceded fifty two points. They've lost to Bristol and conceded forty eight points. They were a bit better last time out against Quinns, uh, but still conceded twenty eight points in that game. But this is not a new problem. It's a bigger, you know, it's an, it, it's made an existing problem worse for them, I think, whilst they're basically getting back together. And it's very difficult, as we know, to recover in the premiership when you're down a few bodies and you're a bit out of nick and low on confidence. And they haven't been able to hide anywhere and they've been getting spanked. But even before that, they lost against Scarlets, conceded 23 points. They actually beat Worcester. We're going way back now. Worcester at the beginning of December, but still managed in that game to concede 17. And before that, they conceded 40 against Exeter. So I wouldn't say that Bath's defence has been any good at all this season. So there's a bonus point for the taking here. It just says, you know, obviously we've got to win the game first. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say let's start pretending we're Bristol but at the same time you know you'd expect um, us to to, to to try and go and score some tries uh, against them um, in terms of looking at their squad uh, and, and what's happening obviously they're, they're, they've lost a few players Falatau, Abano, Stewart, Watson to internationals that's just the ones off the top of my head um, but you know, they still have some good players floating about in this side. Um, and you just hope that they don't decide to click this weekend. You know, it always happens. The the tide always turns eventually, right? Um, but, you know, when you've got the likes of Ben Spencer in your side, you know, you, you've you, you've got to watch him because he's he's rapid. He can break around the fringes, but also his kicking game, obviously learning off Richard Wigglesworth at Saracens. There was no better place to do it. Um, and he's been superb for Bath, really, since he, since he went there. Um Zach Mercer, I thought we had a great game against Quinns, uh, but he he's off. He, you know, and this is this is another thing behind the scenes at Bath. There's something going on there. You know, it's it's a big blow for Bath to lose one of their star homegrown players to France. Um, Tom Dunn, he looks like he's gone completely off the boil to me. It was only like a few months ago that he was in the England squad as third choice hooker. Um, he's still starting for Bath, but he's he's a bit off his game. Uh, Reese Priestland's obviously been an absolute star for them for the last two seasons. Really helped Bath, I think, punch above their weight. Um, but he seems to have gone a bit off the boil. They've signed uh, Tin Showman, 
um, from South Africa. He came on and made his debut against Quinns. Good, good player. I'm not going to say he's not. You know, he's not going to set the world alight, but he's a good player, um, and he'll be eager to please. I wonder if he might get given the nod actually against us uh, away from home. And uh, you know, another player that's not really done it since he's come back from a very serious injury in terms of Cock and a singer. You know, he's he he just he, he seems to be slow, carrying a bit too much weight. You know, and therefore he's not getting they're not and they're not using him in the right way. You know, you want him at pace, taking the ball right on the gain line because of course he's going to get over it. You only have to lean on somebody and he's got over the gain line, but they can't get him into the game at all. One thing I would say alongside Spencer as being a highlight and something to look out for is De Gunville at 15. I thought he was excellent against Quinns. And the option, the opportunity for Bath against us with the way that we're rushing out from the 13 channel, just, you know, to, to aggressive, use our defence aggressively, you know, if they're able to get behind us, De Gunville will kill us on the outside because he is quick. But he's also a really good ball player and decision maker as well in terms of, you know, making a decision to pass, but also has the gas to get on the outside, but also step off his right or left and, and get under the post. So I, I think if if they their ball play well, Bath, and they can get the ball beyond our 13, the Glanville will kill us. But otherwise, you know, they're really struggling in the pack. They've got two back rowers playing in the second row at the moment. They've got an injury crisis in the second row. Um, and I think that that means that they're just very underpowered. So for us, let, we've got to win the game up front, but let's see what the bats can do off a good platform. Yeah, it doesn't need to be the clerk just kicking it up in the air again. Obviously, we'll have to wait and see what conditions are like, but I'd like to let's see what let's see what we can do with some ball in hand as well this time. It certainly feels like Bath, well, this, this game is a bit of a banana skin. Bath in a pretty... Pretty horrendous run of form. A lot of injuries, as James has alluded to. You know, a lot of players playing out of position. But there is that kind of X factor to, to, to Bath. You know, it's it's always kind of been for the last sort of four or five years. They've got a lot of players because they sign a lot of players. There's a lot of turnover. But there's always two or three who can really break a game open. And we've seen that in the past. In fact, we saw it a couple of months ago when Bath came to the AJ Bell and, and turned us over like, uh, like it was nothing. And that was a, a day where Ben Spencer who is the best nine in, in England at the moment and, and should have played yesterday at Twickenham, uh, you know, he, he came in and just completely ran the game, you know, and, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's between him, between Cock and Asinga, between even players like Josh Matavesi and, and Samisa Rocadaguni, players who've kind of fallen out of the zeitgeist a little bit, but, you know, the combination of strength and speed, you know, it's certainly at odds with, with kind of what Sale have. And, you know, whilst Sale come in as a very sort of cohesive team unit, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, are very much in a position where we should be able to win by the sort of power of the collective. Bath are a little bit more erratic, um, but they do have some players who can really sort of break the game open. That said, on current form, the way Sale are playing, there's a really good game plan and a really good platform uh, for us to, to be able to handle Bath, particularly up front where our forwards are really starting to click. Um Alex, just briefly then, I think, you know, the team is very settled at the moment, but is there anyone or any positions where you think changes could uh, could happen um, between Bristol and, and Bath? Well, it's, it's the old don't change a winning team, isn't it? And I think Sanderson's kind of shown what he's he's about this selection in that blend of kind of homegrown talent and South African imported international class. Um so I don't think there's a lot that that we definitely don't need to change. Clearly, 
um, you know, we've we've got a relatively stable team. That I'm sure there'll be some tweaks. We we saw Neil coming for Dugdale this week, so you know there are areas where people are pushing for for starting places. I think the back row is more competitive than definitely we expected it to be. You know, we going into this period with Ben Curry injured and Tom Curry away with England, we were a bit worried about the back row, but actually we've we've got some really good competition there now. Um, obviously helps having John Luke Curry back. Um, and I think in the second row, we're seeing kind of those link-ups, you know, De Klerk and McGinty are playing well together. De Klerk and Jean-Luc Dupree play very well together when he's at eight and um, when they're at eight and nine. Langdon and Beaumont have got that relationship. So I can't imagine that, you know, you want to go and change a lot. Um, what I do think is is kind of the the question that you have to start the week with is how do we want to play this game? Because... We can we can try and play like we did against Bristol, where we give Bath the ball, shut them down in defence, um, and then move ourselves up the field, and that that may well work. But the way teams have been beating Bath is actually sort of curiously through having a really open game, because if you look at all of their recent games, it has been open running rugby, both attacks going crazy, both defences being um, you know almost non-present. Bristol slightly accepted, but I'm thinking about you know that crazy Wasps game, the Leicester game. You know these are you know it was just running rugby, attacking rugby, and it's interesting to see whether we kind of go okay, let's try and do that and beat them that way, or if we try and shut it down, do we kind of risk the the possibility that the way teams have been beating Bath is just by running through them, playing exciting attacking rugby, and potentially you know we we put ourselves in a position where we make it a really dull drudgy game and actually. We do slip up, and I think that is the risk because you know you've got a bath team coming off a hammering at Bristol. We've beaten Bristol, so everyone will have us pegged as massive favourites, and you know Bath will have something to prove, and they will be massively up for it to prove a point. Um, so that's sort of a long-winded way of getting around back to the the original question, which is I wouldn't change a lot, and I think that team has got a really good balance at the moment. I, I think Hill and James in the centre work really well together. I think the back three is is pretty well poised as it is. I don't think anyone's kind of, you know, people are pushing for more game time, but I don't think anyone's pushing for starting positions um, based on that that starting 15 that we had. So personally, I wouldn't make any changes, but I am, I will currently bow down to Alex Sanderson's infinite wisdom, given his two from two. Um, and whatever he wants to do, I will back 100%. Yeah, can't argue with with the great and most glorious leader, Alex Anderson, who's yet to put a foot wrong uh, at Sale DOR. Um, right, let's do some predictions then. So, James, uh, Sale versus Bath at the AJ Bell, Friday night, 8 o'clock kickoff. Uh, what do you think the score will be? I'm, I'm going to say we are going to score a, a bit of points, but we're not going to be killing them. I think Bath are on their way back, um, but it's still going to be a tough assignment for them away from home at the AJ Bell against a confidence sale side. So I'm going to say sale 26, Bath 16. Okay. Alex, what do you think? Um, that sounds a very sensible result to me. I, I, it, that, I can almost picture that being the exact scoreline, uh, which makes it difficult for me. So I, I, oh, I think Bath are in absolute torrid times. I think they're not going to have any kind of boost from any returning internationals or anything like that. So I'm going to say... Sale 29, Bath 8. Okay, and I'm going to go Sale 24, uh, Bath 17. Should be should be comfortable win for, for Sale on, on current form. 
think Bath will still be able to put some points on the board. Um, but hopefully we start to see the shackles come off a little bit and uh, a couple more tries go through our back line. Um, so that is the podcast for this week. Apologies for uh, not doing a podcast last week. We just couldn't, unfortunately, make the times work between the three of us. Um, but we hope you enjoyed uh, this week's pod. Um, massive thank you to everyone who gave us really good engagement numbers on Twitter, um, especially the Bristol fans. You know, we really appreciated you coming out of the woodwork. Um, to tell us how boring we are. That was mint. Um, but yeah, thank you to everyone who's been, who's been listening and, and kind of asking about the pod. Um, we've obviously set up a Patreon account as well, and I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's subscribed to that so far. We really appreciate the support. Um, in the last couple of weeks, uh, there's been updates to the contract tracker. We've got the full um, first team squad on there now. Um, Alex has done a fantastic uh, stats review of last season. There's a Six Nations preview. There's a DOR pod. Uh, we're working on the content that's going to be on there uh, for February at the moment. Um, so watch this space, particularly if you're a subscriber. Um, but obviously, if you want access to all the bonus stuff, um, there's links to the Patreon account on our Twitter. Um, and thank you to everyone who's um, you know, listening to this, our standard pod. You know, it was really fun to get get some time in and, and talk about how great sale is under, under Alex Anderson. So um, that's everything for me. Uh, massive thank you to James and Alex, as always, for joining me. Um, James, anything you'd like to mention before we sign off? Nothing from me. Alex, over to you. No, absolutely nothing from me other than um, other than Pat Lamb. I'm so sorry that we are boring and better at rugby than you.